Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is part of a series we call Poets' Corner. Today's feature is from Book 10, Part 24 of Milton's Paradise Lost. Podcast 1 is entitled The Fall, Part 1. In the prologue to Book 10, Milton writes, Man's transgression known, the guardian angels forsake paradise and return up to heaven to approve their vigilance, and are approved. God, declaring that the entrance of Satan could not be by them prevented, he sends his Son to judge the transgressors, who descends and gives sentence accordingly. Heaven, which knows all, watched the entire scene unfold in the Garden of Eden. But because of free will, did nothing to interfere. This is the great paradox. In Book 1, Milton states his purpose. What in me dark illumine, what in low rays and support, that to the height of this great argument I may assert eternal providence and justify the ways of God to man. That which is so noble is actually extremely difficult because we often want God to intervene. We want him to stop tragedy before it happens. We want him to thwart nature and take away free will. Often, when things are going well, we want God to stay out of the way. When they are going poorly, we want God to step in and save us from ourselves. That leaves the great question. When should God intervene, and when should God remain aloof and silent? Many have lost their faith because they blame God for the evil in the world. Some who reject God depend entirely upon their own genius and assign the rest to fate. Others, however, like Jacob, often wrestle with God. Like Milton, we all must strive to understand the ways of God to man. The paradox of the Garden of Eden is that before Satan appeared, there was no opposition. One day was just like the day before, and would have continued so forever if Satan had not entered the Garden. For agency, we must be enticed both by God and by Satan and be left to choose for ourselves, as was Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It was necessary for Adam and Eve to leave the Garden to have free will, agency, freedom, and liberty. One must know sorrow to appreciate joy. We are all Adam and Eve, and we all, as we grow up, are required to leave the Garden of Eden. The grand question then is, how do we persuade God to intervene in our lives? That is why faith is the first principle of the gospel. Faith precedes all miracles, because agency must be preserved. Our invitation allows God to intervene without violating our agency. The question is, will he intervene even when invited? That is the second paradox. The greatest power on earth is faith in God. Faith also precedes hope and requires patience and trust. When we invite God into our lives, we also agree to trust in the Lord and lean not unto our own understanding. 
In other words, we allow God to answer our prayers His way, even if it is contrary to our wishes. Without the wisdom of God, often we would condemn ourselves with blessings. Meanwhile, the heinous and despiteful act of Satan done in paradise, and how he in the serpent had perverted Eve, her husband she, to taste the fatal fruit was known in heaven. For what can escape the eye of God all-seeing, or deceive his heart omniscient, who in all things wise and just hindered not Satan to attempt the mind of man? With strength entire and free will armed, complete, to have discovered and repulsed whatever wiles or foe or seeming friend. For still they knew, and ought to have still remembered the high injunction not to taste that fruit, whoever tempted, which they not obeying incurred, what could they less, the penalty, and manifold in sin, deserved to fall. Raphael, Ariel, and the other angels hasten to heaven, for fear they will be blamed for Satan's actions. Up into heaven from paradise in haste the angelic guards ascended, mute and sad for man, for of his state by this they knew, much wondering how the subtle fiend had stolen entrance unseen. The angels plead their case before God. Soon as the unwelcome news from heaven arrived at heaven's gate, displeased all were who heard, dim sadness did not spare that time celestial visages, yet mixed with pity violated not their bliss. About the new arrived, in multitudes the ethereal people ran to hear and know how all befell. They, toward the throne supreme accountable, made haste to make appear with righteous plea their utmost vigilance, and easily approved. When the Most High Eternal Father from his secret cloud amidst in thunder uttered thus his voice. The Father exonerates the angels, telling them that he foreknew that Satan would tempt man. Assembled angels, and ye powers returned from unsuccessful charge, be not dismayed nor troubled at these tidings from the earth, which your sincerest care could not prevent, foretold so lately what would come to pass when first this tempter crossed the gulf from hell. The father explains that he knew the fall in advance. I told ye then he should prevail in speed on his errand. Man should be seduced and flattered out of all, believing lies against his maker. God also makes it clear that he is not responsible for their fall. One of the greatest fallacies of man is to think that God created both good and evil. It is not possible for God to even have an evil thought. God created law. Evil is the violation of law. Good is obedience to law. Satan is the author of all evil, just as God is the author of all good. No law is evil. All laws lead to order, and only by obedience to law can we have joy. Evil comes from the consequences of broken laws. All the evil on the earth can be traced to Satan, who is Antichrist. He thrives on chaos and entices man to break the commandments of God. He wants mankind to be as miserable as he is. God emphasizes that man has free will. 
no decree of mine concurring to necessitate his fall, or touch with lightest moment of impulse his free will, to her own inclining left in even scale. God will not take away man's free will. Now, however, because a law is broken, man is subject to the law of justice. That introduces the greatest paradox of all, the balance between the law of justice and the law of mercy. Justice is the governing law of everything. Justice cannot be compromised. Justice requires full payment for sin. That is why the only way that Christ could redeem us from the fall was to sacrifice his own innocent life. He had to satisfy the demands of the law of justice, or he would not be able to show mercy. He purchased us with his blood. God tells the angels that man must die because of the transgression. Even though death was postponed, it will still come before the day is over. But fallen he is, and now what rests? But that the mortal sentence pass on his transgression, death denounced that day, which he presumes already vain and void, because not yet inflicted as he feared by some immediate stroke. But soon shall find forbearance, no acquittance ere day end. The father turns to his son because the father understands the significant role the son must now play in our lives. Before the fall, we did not need a savior, for Christ, under the direction of the father, created the heavens and the earth. Having prepared the earth and the garden of Eden, Christ created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden. Christ is our creator. However, if Adam and Eve had never eaten of the forbidden fruit, the law of mercy would never have been necessary, and Christ would never had to sacrifice his life. But just as God foreknew that Satan would entice them to eat the fruit, God foreknew that Christ would have to sacrifice his life for the atonement of mankind. It was the plan from the beginning. In their fallen state, mankind is incapable of self-redemption. Only Christ, a perfect being, could fulfill that role. The Father emphasizes that justice cannot be cheated. That is what he means by not return as bounty scorned. Justice shall not return as bounty scorned. But whom send I to judge them? Whom but thee, vigilant son? To thee I have transferred all judgment, whether in heaven or earth or hell. Milton, a biblical scholar, is alluding to the scripture in John. John 5.22 For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. The Father outlines the role of His Son, our Savior and Redeemer. He defines the role of justice and mercy, recognizing that only Christ can save us. Easy it may be seen that I intended mercy, colleague, with justice, sending thee man's friend, his mediator, his designed both ransom and redeemer voluntary, and destined man himself to judge man fallen. The Father assigns Christ some of his many titles, man's friend, mediator, ransomer, redeemer, and judge. The Father concludes, So spake the Father, and unfolding bright toward the right hand his glory, on the sun blazed forth unclouded deity. He full resplendent all his Father manifest expressed. 
and thus divinely answered mild. Christ responds to his Father, clearly defining his role. Everything he does, he does under the direction of the Father. The only reason that Christ never violated the law of justice is because he did everything with exactness that his Father commanded him to do. His Father is the law of justice. The Father must remain perfectly just, or he would cease to be God. God could be just without the Son, but he could not be merciful without the Son. The Son made it possible for the Father to be both just and merciful. The Father could not sacrifice his life for us because he was already an immortal resurrected being. When Christ said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect, he was talking about the resurrection. Only in the resurrection can we be perfect. At the time of Christ's statement in the Sermon on the Mount, Christ, though perfect, was not resurrected. That is why he used his Father as the model of perfection and not himself. Only in the resurrection is everything complete. Only then can we be sanctified and purified and in a perfected state as the Father is. Christ made it possible for us to have a resurrected body by dying for us on the cross and then rising from the dead. Only Christ could be born of Mary and take upon himself a body of flesh and blood, thus making him mortal and subject to death. Christ declares that his purpose is to do the will of the Father. Father eternal, thine is to decree, mine both in heaven and earth, to do thy will supreme, that thou in me, thy Son beloved, mayest ever rest well pleased. Milton defines Christ's earthly commission. His role is to satisfy the law of justice that he might show mercy to fallen man. Christ continues. I go to judge on earth these thy transgressors, but thou knowest, whoever judged, the worst on me must light when time shall be, for so I undertook before thee. And not repenting, this obtain of right, that I may mitigate their doom on me derived, yet I shall temper so justice with mercy, as may illustrate most them fully satisfied, and thee, Appease. The purpose of Christ is to mitigate the fall and temper justice with mercy. Adam and Eve may have mercy, but Satan can have none. He is a son of perdition. He rebelled against God, even while standing in the light and power of God. He knowingly rejected Christ. That is why Satan is beyond redemption. He wanted to usurp the power of Christ. As Isaiah makes clear, Originally, Satan was a very powerful angel who attempted to be like the Most High. Perhaps below only the Father and Son in power, he willfully rejected Christ as the Son of God, the Savior and Redeemer. Therefore, through his rebellion, he placed himself outside the mercy of Christ forever. To become a son of perdition, as with the angels who followed Lucifer in heaven, one must willfully reject Christ as their Savior even while having full knowledge of who Christ is. All but the sons of perdition can be redeemed from hell. Please download Season 3, Podcast 256 and 257, Uttermost Farthing. Milton, more of a Puritan than an Orthodox Church of England, is independent in his interpretation of the Scriptures. I found it interesting that in the Gustave Doré edition of Paradise Lost, which I used for my reference, 
that a critic said, In his epic work, Paradise Lost, John Milton seeks to justify the ways of God to men through the familiar Christian myth of the fall from grace. Milton is right in Paradise Lost in competition with Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, but Milton did not view the creation story of Adam and Eve as he viewed the Greek myth. He was a literalist. He believed in God, in the Holy Bible, and in the creation story. I remember once reading a critic of Milton who was astonished that Milton drew so much from the first two chapters of Genesis. However, Milton had a comprehensive knowledge of the Bible and used his copious allusions throughout the Old and New Testaments. Let's close part one with Milton's insights into the Bible in the next five lines. Attendance none shall need, nor train, where none are to behold the judgment, but the judged. Those two, the third best absent is condemned, convict by flight, and rebel to all law, conviction to the serpent, none belongs. Milton emphasizes the individuality of the judgment. Attendance none shall need, nor train, where none are to behold the judgment, but the judged. In other words, we must stand before Christ alone to be judged. Christ is our only advocate. We will see the significance of that as Christ confronts Adam, Eve, and Satan. He does not allow anyone to shuffle the blame on another. As he told the angels, speaking of Adam and Eve, Whatever wiles of foe or seeming friend, for still they knew and ought to have still remembered the high injunction not to taste that fruit, whoever tempted, which they, not obeying, incurred. What could they less, the penalty and manifold in sin, deserved to fall? He holds each one accountable. Milton also separates the judgment of Adam and Eve from the judgment of Satan. In fact, only Adam and Eve qualify for judgment. It is a nice play on the word judgment. We frequently think of judgment as condemnation, but Christ doesn't. Remember his previous words. Of right that I may mitigate their doom on me derived, yet I shall temper so justice with mercy, as may illustrate most them fully satisfied and thee appease. That applies only to Adam and Eve. Satan receives no mercy. Christ said of Satan, The third best absent is condemned, convict by flight, and rebel to all law, conviction to the serpent, none belongs. Satan is rebel to all law. It is only through law that we are sanctified, preserved, and perfected. Therefore, Satan cannot be sanctified by law because he willfully rejects all laws. In other words, Satan will be subject to the law of justice, but will not be redeemed by the law of mercy. He is convicted already because he is rebel to all law. The sons of perdition are all those who knowingly and willfully remain outside the law and choose to become a law unto themselves. There is safety only in obedience to the laws of God. Please join us next week as we continue Book 10 of Paradise Lost. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.